0: GEPs have focused more and more on all-important recurring revenues during the pandemic, but what's so great about them? Where can we find them? How do we generate them? We find out how to shift your business, what it could do for valuations, and how stable recurring revenues really are on this episode of the Unquote Private Equity
1: podcast.
0: I'm here with Harriet Matthews, our DAC reporter. Thanks so much for being with us today, Harriet. Hi Kat, thanks very much for having me. We also have an interview from Oliver Harman, founding partner for Searchlight Capital Partners. The firm is currently deploying its Searchlight Capital 3 fund, which closed on $3.4 billion in November 2020. And they have a focus on recurring revenue, uh, investing in several businesses that they claim uh, have recurring revenues. Um, so we're really excited to hear more from him on how he has worked with those businesses to create more recurring revenues, how he's worked with businesses to shift over to a recurring revenue strategy. So really excited to hear more from him. So we're going to be talking today about recurring revenues because as many um, of our listeners may know recurring revenue businesses have become increasingly important. We've been seeing, we've been witnessing a kind of pivot towards recurring revenue-oriented businesses since before the pandemic as well. You know, I was speaking to Josh Featherby of Cambridge Associates, and he talked about how, uh, you know, this move would prove defensive and resilient through a recession. And and that's definitely proven the case throughout the pandemic. GPs have only become more, more interested in these types of businesses. Recurring revenues have kind of been considered part of the flight to quality that we've seen um, and this has only driven up multiples and and made processes involving recurring revenue businesses which were already in competitive only more so. All types of funds, right the way from multi-billion dollar household names down to sub hundreds of millions of euro venture funds have stressed their pursuit of businesses with high recurring revenues. These funds include Spectrum Equity 9, which closed on its $1.5 billion hard cap last year, as well as AdSimut's Digitech fund, which launched last summer with a target of €50 million. The stats also reflect the increasing interest in these types of businesses, Uh, the share of of recurring revenue buyouts jumped from just 8% in 2010 of all buyouts, up to 22% to date in in 2021. And that that figure was 18% in 2020. So many investors have also spoken about the importance of these businesses when they invest in specific businesses, for example, Benchmark Capital, when it acquired Field Service Management uh, Software provider Total Mobile, discussed its recurring revenues. And when InvestCorp acquired Ageras, it also talked about its uh, its uh, high quality recurring revenues. Harriet, what's your take on this?
1: Absolutely, certainly agree with everything you've said about the importance of recurring revenues to a wide range of sponsors in the market. It's clearly an important part of value creation. Recurring revenues are really key there and particularly growing the amount or proportion of recurring revenues. We're also seeing that looking at and assessing recurring revenues is a really important part of due diligence, not only for sponsors, but also for direct lenders. What people are really looking for is recurring revenues combined with an element of stability and diversification of the client base from whom they get these recurring revenues. Having one main client or too much concentration of recurring revenue clients in one sector can certainly be a risk depending on the business model.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is not just something that uh, our GPs and our VCs look for when they're first investing, um, but they also consider it an important part of value creation models, as you you just said, Harriet. Uh, They're pushing for it all the time. One one example that I saw about this was um, the rumours flying around that Monzo the the online bank the, the which has raised several um very large funding rounds um you know that and it's had its growth jeopardized by the covid-19 pandemic but it's also uh, had increasing pressure from its investors to generate recurring revenue also Harry it'd be, be great to know from you what how stable are these recurring revenues
1: absolutely so recurring revenues, you've mentioned the pandemic, it's almost impossible not to. Um, Recurring revenues are viewed as a measure of security. Certainly, you've mentioned Monzo as an example. But in, in general, in the b2b software space, certainly, there was concern about recurring revenues for functions that aren't considered, perhaps as mission critical as other software functions. So the security that comes with recurring revenues certainly has two sides to it in a, in a crisis situation. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, and I think... Oliver will talk um, about the importance of other factors to consider. But I also noted some recent commentary from DC Advisories, uh, Sebastian Daumüller. Harriet, you'll probably be able to pronounce that better than I ever could. But um, <laughs> he's a managing director with DC Advisory, and he says that recurring revenue is not a good enough proxy for resilience and how mission critical the products being offered is essential. And um, he talks also about the importance of other softer factors like marketing Market dynamics and competitive positions, and of course, the all-important management team. Um, I, I know Oliver will give us his two cents on that too. So here it is today's special guest interview. Hello, listener. I'm here with Oliver Harmon, founding partner for Searchlight Capital Partners. Thank you so much for being with us today, Oliver.
2: Thank you, Catherine. It's really nice to be here
0: recurring revenue businesses as you've previously told me is a really important focus area for such like capital partners it would be great to get your get your kind of take on on why you like investing in businesses with with recurring revenues
2: oh that's that's a very good question we have shifted our strategy over the years to really focus primarily on recurring revenue businesses now we're We're a business that focuses, a fund that focuses on more mature businesses or moderate growth businesses. So we're not an early stage venture fund or, so looking at businesses, um, the type of businesses that we look at, you know, the main growth drivers or value drivers in any business that we invest in are often the cash flow generation during the life of our investment, Um, the deleveraging that occurs, which is the amount of debt that we might take on at the beginning of the acquisition and then payoff during the life of our investment, which obviously enhances equity value. And then finally, the exit multiple at at which we sell the business uh, relative to the entry multiple at which we acquired the business. Um, Recurring revenue businesses can be very attractive for us because first of all, often they are businesses that allow you to generate attractive cash flows. Um, And we can talk about that a little bit later as to why. Um, And in addition to that, you know, often banks like lending to you when you have a business with recurring revenues because they are viewed as as lower risk credits. Uh, So you can often get more, either slightly more debt uh, at time of acquisition or less expensive debt at time of acquisition. And finally, you know, at Exit, uh, there's a lot of willing buyers for businesses with these types of revenue profiles. Uh, And as a result of that, so, you know, the three main value drivers of traditional private equity investing are all enhanced, we believe in recurring revenue business models. And when we think about recurring revenues, I should also say that, you know, those can come in lots of different flavors. There's obviously some businesses that might have long-term contracts with customers that you can predict out five, 10 years in advance. There's also companies that have, that have short-term contracts with customers. An example of that would be a, a cable TV subscription or a mobile phone subscription or an information services subscription where every month uh, you, know, you pay your, your fee um, and uh, maybe you have the option to opt out if you'd like to. But generally, it's a highly recurring. And then there are companies that aren't contractual, but just the nature of the service that they deliver uh, to create a highly reoccurring revenue stream.
0: Recurring revenue has obviously become a really important part of, of lots of different firms' approach to investing. Uh, when you're looking at a company uh, with recurring revenue, do you also consider other metrics? Um, for example, you know, monthly customer churn, customer acquisition costs, and and if so, how do they affect your interest in the business?
2: Yeah, so, so again, you know, recurring revenue comes come in different flavors, uh, and absolutely, there's lots of metrics to look at. Most recurring revenue businesses will require some element of upfront investment. So for example, we have investments in cable businesses uh, offering cable TV services or mobile phone services. Clearly there's significant upfront investment required to establish those uh, services in the first place. You have to build a network and you have to, you spend lots of capex. So some of these businesses can be quite capital intensive. Um, And as a result of that, you know, there's lots of metrics to look at. First of all, a big one, obviously, is uh, the return on your invested capital. So uh, that's a very big metric that we look at because it takes into account the capital intensity of the business. Clearly, customer acquisition cost is very important. How much does it actually cost for you to acquire that customer? If you think about all the marketing and sales expenses that you've put in, then what's your average monthly revenue from that customer? That's a very standard, you know, metrics, especially in communications businesses. And then uh, what's often the contribution margin of that customer? If you take the average revenue, uh, you look at the, you know, the actual direct uh, variable costs affiliated with that customer how much are they actually ultimately contributing uh, to your fixed cost base um, which are which you're obviously seeking to to cover and then drive margins through given that you've made a lot of upfront investments um, and then finally churn is really important you know if you're starting to lose your customer base because they're not renewing their contracts uh, that's obviously a big danger sign understanding the underlying reasons for churn very important um, one of the nice things about many of these recurring revenue businesses is that you might let's say you own a mobile phone business or a cable business and it's active in lots of different geographies or markets you can sometimes play around with certain customer segments or certain geographic regions and see how sensitive the customers might be to certain changes either in in your pricing or in your customer retention policies and then you can transfer those learnings to others so that's that's a metric I think that's very important. And this, this upfront investing is an important concept, I think, because it creates entry barriers uh, for these businesses.
0: As you've already discussed, there are a lot of very attractive elements to investing in a business with, with strong recurring revenues. Uh, some estimates have suggested that introducing a subscription-based business model could increase a company's valuation by up to eight times. How, how have you seen companies moving to recurring revenue affect their valuations?
2: And clearly there's a lot of attractive elements to recurring revenue businesses as I've just you know described and um, historically we have seen a trend certainly amongst private equity owners towards those businesses which has reflected uh, in higher valuations now the eight times is a big number I suspect some of that may be driven by also you know some of the highly valued, uh, high, super high growth software companies uh, that are also often recurring revenues because once you've installed your software as a business, uh, uh, you know whether it's for payroll processing or any uh, any number of other things, uh, CRM management. You know, it's very the switching costs are very high, and you often have long term contracts with the customers of your software. Those businesses have. have really, really soared in value. And I think that's probably pulling up the overall average. Uh, we're investing in recurring revenue businesses, um, you know, in, in, in more in business services and in communications, uh, where we probably haven't seen that dramatic of an eight times increase that you're describing, but we have seen an increase in, in valuations. And um, I, think, uh, I, th- I think that's, you know, for some of the reasons I just dis- displayed earlier, it's an attractive characteristic uh, for 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 many investors obviously one of the challenges of a recurring revenue business is often uh, that it can also be uh, sometimes slower to implement changes you know so for example if I own a consumer apparel business and I'm making shoes or jackets and you know I have a bad season you know three months later I can completely relaunch totally new look, hire new designers, new colors new fabrics, different marketing campaign and voila, I suddenly have a big hit on my hands. Or, you know, it can go the other way. There's more volatility, but there's also more upside volatility. You know, in some of the recurring revenue businesses that I'm describing, where you've made a lot of big upfront investments, like in this vehicle inspection business, or as I described in some of these communications network, it's sometimes harder to suddenly reinvent yourself. You know, so when things are more challenging, those businesses can also be sometimes require more investment and more work to, to reorient it. And reposition uh for a turnaround that might not be quite as rapid. Obviously, I think when it does happen, it can be more sustained because you have more, you know, you have more stability in the business. But I do think that that's one thing, uh, you know, to look out for. So it's not as if, you know, all recurring revenue businesses should be painted with nothing but rose-colored lenses and um, assumed to always trade for, uh, you know, higher values.
0: Absolutely. A little disclaimer there. Um, I wondered, uh, you know, speaking of how much attention these t- types of companies have been getting, is is the supply of businesses sufficient for, th- for this interest?
2: Well, you know, to be honest with you, I think the um, recurring revenues, because they can come in sort of lower growth industries, like I, like I mentioned this vehicle inspection business that we own, uh, or we also have, for example, another business that does... Um, provides safety equipment uh, to the, to mainly to marine sector, to whether you're a, a ferry boat or a cargo ship or anything that's floating um, and carrying, whether it's one person or hundreds of person of, has legal requirements to have certain types of safety equipment on board. And what we like about that business is you sell them the equipment, but then you really have these long-term contracts to every year, inspect and recertify the equipment that's on those ships. So also highly recurring, but those are much lower growth sectors, you know, automotive uh, inspections or safety equipment. Um, and then obviously you also have much higher growth sectors of, um, of, of recurring revenue businesses, like some of the communications businesses we're in. For example, we have a very high growth communications business that's offering fixed wireless, um, internet fast broadband solutions. Uh, And then obviously, as I touched on earlier, there's also some of these ultra high fast growth, uh, um, you know, software businesses. So I guess what I'm saying with that is it's hard to general, there is a lot of supply of these businesses and many, but they're kind of geographically agnostic because it has more to do with the business model uh, than it does with the geography it tends to be in. Um, And, uh, you know, as a result of that, I think you can find these, in lots of different businesses. Obviously, if you're looking for scale, you'd ideally find a business that can go across national boundaries uh, or invest in a larger country. We tend to focus more because, you know, we're managing um, the most recent fund a three and a half billion dollar fund. You know, we're looking at mainly, you know some of the larger European countries or or in the United States where we have a big presence where there's just larger domestic markets that you can scale. uh, And as a result of that, you know, Benefit from 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 growth faster. So I don't think there's a specific um, national bent. And in terms of the overall supply, yes, of course, you know there is demand for these businesses. But I, there's also, as we know, lots of innovation in non recurring revenue businesses, and especially in the consumer sector. A lot of it driven also by you know the online consumer um, shift and you know new brands popping up often you know just leveraging social media to to drive sales growth so i think there's yeah there's supply i think coming up in all types of businesses out there
0: i suppose the the final thing to discuss would be the advice that you would give for for companies thinking of switching to a recurring revenue model
2: well i think that's really interesting topic and obviously given that i we talked earlier that you know the supply seems stable but there's a lot of demand obviously you could really create a lot of value as an investor if you bought a business um, at a moderate valuation because it was considered maybe not recurring, potentially more volatile, and we're able to change it to a recurring revenue business at exit. That's hard to do. Um, It is possible. I think you have to be very thoughtful about um, what kind of a business you're in, what's the service or that you're providing. Uh, generally, these are service businesses. And how receptive is your customer base to change? Um, we've, we're actually in the middle of such a transformation right now in one of our businesses. Um, and it was part of our investment thesis going into the business. We we discovered a company called Mitel uh, Communications, um, which, was a market leader in in what's, it is basically what we all associate with an office phone system. One of the big innovations has been the advent of IP-based telephony, driven by software, where you don't need these big physical switches anymore. uh, And you can have a phone system that's effectively running over your IP networks and and all the interfaces on software. Uh, It's often, you know, what we're using even, you know, during COVID more and more. um, and um, those businesses can be really interesting because they begin to become a subscription-based service. Um, so at Mytel, what we, what we we noticed that they had a small business that had really innovated in some very good software for this kind of software-driven SaaS, you know, subscription as a service type software model to deliver telephony services to their customers. And you know, part of our investment thesis, which we're executing on right now, was really to shift a lot of the traditional base of customers that we have in these legacy phone systems onto the, our software platform, uh, and that's gone really well. Uh, I would say it's uh, it's taken a lot, not only a lot of growth for the company as we transfer our existing customer base to this software driven solution, but it's also going to allow us, hopefully, and you know, we're reasonably <laughs> optimistic. When it comes time to sell, sell the business for a much different multiple because it'll be viewed more as a software-driven subscription-as-a-service type company. To summarize, having that initial technology in-house, having the team that can accelerate that, having an existing customer base that you can cross-sell to, and really being able to listen to your consumer and your customer and making sure that they want this new service and that it has actually economic benefit for them. Those were probably three of the things that have made that transition at Mitel successful so far. Uh, and we're in the middle of it and hopefully <laughs> hopefully, it works out well. And we've, you know, we've, we're looking at a few other opportunities of that nature.
0: Thanks very much to Oliver for taking the time to be with us today. Um, it was a really interesting interview, wasn't it? But Harriet, I wanted to hear from you. What, what do you think is the future of this topic?
1: Well, it's important to place this topic, I think, within the globally extremely competitive private equity environment. This is something that Bain & Company has some interesting points to make on uh, in their global private equity outlook that's been published fairly recently. So, they don't refer to recurring revenues directly in this uh, in this particular part of the report. But what they do say is that it's becoming increasingly challenging for GPs buying companies at very high valuations. They really do need to generate more value uh, if they are going to make the returns that they're looking for. Now, Bain and company in this refers to an analysis of uh, funds in which they've co-invested, saying that multiple expansion and revenue growth rather than margin improvement are by far the biggest drivers of private equity returns. I've found that really interesting and clearly recurring revenues are a very important part of that revenue growth. So I think it's clear that it's going to be a really important topic in the months and clearly years to come. Absolutely.
0: And I think recurring revenue is only going to drive multiples up further, as we've already seen. uh, They've never been so high, um, as we've seen in the uh, recent unquote Clearwater International multiples heat map. So um, looks to me like we're going to continue to see higher multiples and a continued interest in these types of businesses. Perfect. Thank you so much, Harriet, for being with us today. Thanks very much for having me. And I'm afraid that's all we have time for this week. Do look out for upcoming episodes on first-time fund managers as well as on operational changes. Please take the opportunity to subscribe to the Unquote Private Equity podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or, of course, continue listening on Unquote.com. A very big thank you to our special guest, Oliver Harmon, our producer, Tim, Harriet, and, as always, a big thank you to you too, listeners. Speak to you soon.